Good to see you all this morning. I hope you all had a uh, enjoyable Christmas together with family and friends as you were able to. And uh, look forward to a, a good new year uh, coming soon. Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke chapter 17. We're going to finish through Luke chapter 17 uh, today and then uh, begin the new year, 2018, with a uh, call to prayer from Jesus in Luke chapter 18. But this morning, we're going to finish Luke chapter 17, looking from verse 20 through to the end in verse 37. So let's uh, start this morning by reading through that passage. And uh, then we'll look through it. It says in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. So Jesus said to them, oh, hang on, I'm in Matthew, I'm in the wrong, wrong book altogether. Here we go. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 17. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one, two in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word and to look forward, to hear of what you have before us, to heed the warning and to glory in your greatness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in a church tradition that talked a lot about Christ's coming. Um, we spent a lot of time over the, the years talking about his second coming. We would, we would talk about the details of it, and we would often have people come in to, to help us understand and teach it, and we would see it through Scripture, and we would 
uh, we would talk about the nature of his second coming and we would talk about the different aspects of it and the different ways that it would be manifest and seen and we would we would see it in its forms in so many different places in the New Testament, how it could be an encouragement to us in our walk and, and how it could be a comfort to us in our troublesome times. And so I grew up hearing a lot about the coming of Christ. It wasn't the only thing we talked about, but it was certainly a large part of what was in our teaching because it brought everything together. It was uh, what showed the, the end of what Jesus was doing and what he came to do. It was our, our hope. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to talk more about his, his coming this morning uh, for fear that some of you might try to get there early. Um, some said last week after we talked about the, the kingdom that we really just want to be there now. And so I'd rather that not happen. Let's just wait until God does that and takes us all there. But while I grew up in that tradition, and it, and it wasn't unique, there were a lot of churches and there's a lot of people around that, that uh, had that thing. These days, not too many Christians are talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. Seems to me in times like this, this would be the time when we should be talking uh, about his coming, uh, except perhaps we, we speak about it to argue about the details of it. Um, but that doesn't really bring anybody much help at all. Christ's coming kingdom is a very important part of our faith, very important part of what we need to believe and see. Uh, we need to grow in our understanding of it. We need to, to grow in our desire for it. It is uh, used right throughout the Bible as an encouragement for us to, to grow in our faith. It is used as an encouragement for us to pursue Christ and to live this life with the thought of the next Jesus speaks much about it. And so here, as we look in these last verses of Luke chapter 17, Jesus gives us a little bit more detail about his coming kingdom, about what he is coming to do, what he is coming to, to be and have for us. And so I want to look this morning at a few thoughts, some of the things that he draws out for us here to tell us about his coming kingdom when he will come. And the first is, is this. We'll look at three thoughts this morning, but firstly this. His kingdom has come. His kingdom has come. Our first couple of verses of uh, our text this morning, verse 20 and 21, Jesus is speaking to the, uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask him a question, uh, a, a challenging question here, one to challenge him. They say, when would the kingdom of God come? And he answered them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you or before you or in front of you. When Jesus came, when he came to the earth the first time, he came to provide access to a spiritual kingdom. This is what he, he had in, in what he was preaching, and he talked about the kingdom when he came. He came to provide access to a spiritual kingdom. You see... The Jews, and we've talked about this before as we've talked about the kingdom, the Jews were expecting a physical kingdom. So when the Pharisees asked Jesus here when the kingdom would come, they were expecting Jesus to talk about a physical kingdom, one where the Messiah would come and rule and reign and cast out all their enemies and do what God had promised. And hence, that's the reason for Palm Sunday. That's what Palm Sunday was all about, them calling in their great Messiah, their king, who would rule, who would throw out the Romans and rule for them. 
But their hope and their expectation of what this kingdom was were, were bound in the great covenants of God. Throughout the Old Testament, God made a number of great promises to, to Israel. And we've talked about some of these in the past weeks. But there were four main uh, driving covenants that God had given to Israel, the unconditional covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, which is where it started, where God made a promise to Abraham that he would make out of him a great nation. He promised him a land and he promised him descendants as, as much as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And he promised him that he would be a blessing to all nations. He made what we call the Palestinian covenant to them as well, which is that God would provide them their own land, a place for the people of God to reside and to glory in and to live for God in. Then there is the great Davidic covenant, which is the promise that God made to David, that David's throne, that David's house would last forever. That there would be a king of Israel from the, the, the throne of David who would sit on the throne of David for all eternity. And then there is the new covenant. The new covenant added to all of that and, and took us in a slightly different direction. And that it wasn't about land and it wasn't about uh, a, a, a nation or a king, but it was about the heart. It was about how God would change the hearts of his people to love God to serve him and turn to him. These were the great covenants that when the Jews were thinking about the Messiah, this is what they were thinking. They were thinking about the promised land. They were thinking about their great king and ruler forever. They were thinking about all of these blessings that God had promised. So when Jesus came and when Jesus started preaching the gospel of the kingdom and started living the way he did and showing what he meant and, and living that way, Jesus Jesus did not meet their expectations. See, they had a very limited view. They had, they had selectively drawn out of all these great promises and all these things that God had said. And they had selectively drawn out what they wanted to see and wanted to hear. And that was what they hoped for. But Jesus came offering everything that God had promised. Everything that God had said. And so because of what Jesus was coming to offering and his message, it wasn't what they were expecting. It was much broader than this selective view that they had at the time. And so they looked at Jesus and they said, you don't match what we think we're looking for. You're not our Messiah. We're expecting something different. So they questioned him here to challenge him. See, while they were expecting a physical kingdom and looking for it and selectively seeing in Scripture what they wanted to see, what they missed and what they were missing was the spiritual kingdom. They were missing the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. They missed so much. Yes, God did promise a physical kingdom. Some of that will be drawn out in the verses that, that follow. But what they had missed, looking for the physical kingdom, was that they had missed that before the reign of the Messiah, there needed to be a change of heart. It must come to hearts first. The suffering Messiah must come before the reigning Messiah. Or the old saying goes, the cross must come before the crown. His suffering must come first, but they didn't see that. They had selectively removed that out of their ideas of the coming Messiah and his kingdom. The promised physical kingdom was never a part of from the spiritual kingdom. 
It was always together. That is, the kingdom is about hearts. The kingdom of God is about hearts. This kingdom that Jesus says that he was providing access to, he tells us also as he answers the Pharisees, not only that he was providing access to a spiritual kingdom, but this kingdom was present in power. The kingdom was present in power. So he says there the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is before you. The first thing we understand here that Jesus shows to us about the kingdom is here it begins not physically but invisibly. It is an invisible kingdom as we see it now. One day the kingdom will be seen. Okay, we've talked about that already in weeks gone by. One day the kingdom will be seen, but it starts invisibly. He says there at the end of verse 20, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. That word observation may mean three things here, and I think it probably includes all of these aspects of it. The first two, perhaps the most clear of them. But when he talks about not coming with observation, means that it can't be foreseen by signs. There's, there's, there's nothing to look for. The coming of the kingdom as he's showing it for us and as he is revealing it, there's nothing to look for. You can't find this kingdom. It can't be foreseen by signs. And this was an important thing for the Jews because that's all they were looking for. They were constantly looking for a sign. And when Jesus stood before them, it didn't seem to matter what he did because when he didn't do signs, they didn't believe him. And when he did do signs... They didn't believe him. So the signs and the wonders, really irrelevant. Because it didn't make any difference to their hearts and to their understanding. So it can't be seen or foreseen by signs. The second idea in this word observation is that it isn't an observable process. It says it, can't, it doesn't come with observation. It doesn't mean you can't see it coming. The kingdom begins not as a physical thing, but it begins in the hearts of people. That's where the kingdom begins. It begins invisibly in hearts, so it's not an observable process. The third thought, and probably the least uh, strongest part that fits in with this idea of observing, is that it doesn't come with or through observing rites. That is, it doesn't come by doing the right thing or following the right way, by observing things that need to be done. You can't earn it, and you cannot make it come. See, the Pharisees were looking for a kingdom but could not see it, which is why Jesus told one of the Pharisees when he came to him by night, Nicodemus, said, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. It begins with a change of heart. God's kingdom is greater, more glorious than just an earthly kingdom. It is invisible in its presence, but it is also very much present. Very much present. Jesus says here, the kingdom of God is Within you, That within you is a hard word to translate. And so you'll find throughout uh, various um, uh, 
uh, translations of the Bible that it'll come with different ways because it's a hard one to translate. With the, the thing that makes it hard is here is because he's talking to the Pharisees. The kingdom of God is clearly not within them. Uh, so it, it seems that probably the best way to understand that is not saying that it's within, but that it's within your reach. It is before you. It is in front of your eyes, is what he seems to be saying here, that it is before you, in front of you. So while they waited for something to come, while they waited for this kingdom to come, they missed that it was right in front of them. How was it right in front of them? Jesus. Jesus was there in front of them. He was the one who brought the kingdom. Jesus brought his kingdom. He came to set people free from the bondage of sin and death. He came to call his people of every tribe and every nation to himself to create for himself his own special people. He came to establish his reign in the hearts of his people to bring peace with God and to bring the peace of God to those that would believe him. We experience the blessings of God's kingdom when we recognize that he is king. And when we recognize that he is king, we submit ourselves to him in repentance and faith. Then we live our lives seeking him and his glory. We are, the Bible says, we are citizens of an eternal kingdom. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we believe that he is God, that he is king, and submit ourselves to him, we are brought into a new kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. No longer this world. We are strangers, it says, in this world. Which is why Paul uses a great phrase in the New Testament when he says that we are ambassadors for Christ. That is, this is not our nation. This is not our world. We are here representing another. We are here representing the kingdom of God. His kingdom has come. But one of the things we also see as we continue on is this, that his kingdom will come. His kingdom will come. And so we passionately look for it. It says at the beginning of verse 22, then he said to his disciples. So now, as we often see Jesus do, the conversation shifts. Verse 20 and 21, he's speaking over here to the Pharisees. They've asked him a question. He responds. Now he wants to make some things clear to his disciples. So he turns away from the Pharisees and he starts to address his disciples, the believers, the followers. So these words which come next are not to people who are skeptical, who are unbelieving. These words are to the ones who believe. These are the ones who are in the kingdom. And he's going to explain more. He's going to teach us more about what it is to be part of the kingdom. And the first thing he wants us to see is to passionately look for it. Because his glorious kingdom is coming. His glorious kingdom is coming. He says in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Son of Man is Jesus' most most favorite title of himself. 
It's a title which comes from the Old Testament. It speaks about the glory of his deity, of all that he is. This speaks of how that that kingdom will begin. He tells them about his kingdom. Yes, it is here, partly. Just the spiritual aspect of his kingdom is here. He rules in the hearts of his people. But one day, one day it will be fully revealed. The spiritual aspect of the kingdom will break forth into the physical. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Right now, you have everything you need. You have access to every part of the kingdom you need to live in this world and to live in this world for the glory of God. Soon, Christ will reign on this earth. And one of the keys to this passage, one of the themes that runs all the way through these verses is the suddenness of Christ's return. And we'll see that as we continue going on. You'll see over and over that emphasis come through about the suddenness of Christ's return. Every promise that he made to Israel will be fulfilled. Every promise that he made to us about having a place with him will be fulfilled. John chapter 14 and verse 3 where he says that he goes to prepare a place for us that where he is there we may be also. All of these things will be fulfilled. One day, what we know in heart, what we know spiritually, what we experience spiritually, we will see with our eyes. Which is what Paul says at the end of that great chapter on love, which brings us to look forward even further. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I put the wrong verse up there. Haven't oh, no, that's, that's for later. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. His glorious kingdom is coming. So make it your consuming passion. Make it your consuming passion. This is what he says here in verse 22. He says, the days will come when you will desire to see one of those days or the beginning of those days. This coming of Christ is what we, the people of God, long for. What we hope for, what we desire for. Literally, the word desire there speaks of consuming passion. The coming of Jesus Christ needs to be a fueling passion of our lives. Something that consumes us, that drives us forward, that makes us live in this life with a goal for the next. Fixing our minds on eternity. So in Colossians chapter 3, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We live for his promises. We live uh, for our hope and our joy. We live for his glory now. And so, while we passionately look for his kingdom, we're also reminded to patiently wait for it. To patiently wait for it. He says, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. You will not see it, and really for for us, it should probably end yet, because that's the sense of that phrase there. You will not see it. It doesn't mean you won't ever see it. It means not yet. You won't see it yet. It speaks, that little phrase there, and you will not see it, speaks of delay. It speaks of delay. It will come, but his whole purpose must be fulfilled first. Must be fulfilled first. In verse 25, we look down in verse 25 of our passage, it says, But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So before the kingdom comes in all of its glory and its physical form and and everything that God has promised, before he comes to reign, first, he says, he must suffer and be rejected. There is a delay. There is a time to wait and to wait patiently for it. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, one of those things the Pharisees here had, had selectively missed out. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. The great purpose God had isn't just for Israel. Oh, yes, he has a lot for Israel, but it's not just for Israel. His purpose is to reign in the hearts of people from every nation. And that began with the very first promise God made in all of this to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. And he said that through Abraham and the nation that Abraham would have, God would bring blessing to every nation. That blessing is Jesus Christ. But before that great rule, before that great reign can come, before that kingdom can come, he must first atone for sin. He must take care of the heart. So 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. How the kingdom begins? In the hearts with transformation. This is why we're called to be patient. We're called to be patient because God is still doing his work. He's still fulfilling his purpose And so, as we've seen in weeks before, we are to look, to wait for his glorious appearing. And so while we patiently wait for it, we understand, firstly, that he is rejected the first time. But, second time, he is returning at the right time. His coming is delayed. It is delayed because there is still more to do, and he is gathering all of his sheep into his fold from everywhere that they come from. He hasn't told us when. 
And he's given us no signs to look for. This passage, as we said before, emphasizes the, the suddenness and the imminence of Jesus' return. Now is a time of grace. Now is a time, it's an opportunity for us to believe Jesus. When the Father is ready, the Bible tells us, he will send the Son again. And just like when he sent the Son the first time, it was the exact right time, so when the Father sends the Son the second time, it will be exactly the right time again. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says, So Christ was offered to bear once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. And like the first, it will be perfectly timed. Timed this time, not to come as a humble servant, but as a sovereign reigning king. So we passionately look for it. We patiently wait for it. And thirdly, we are to prepare for it. Sorry. We are to prepare for it. Verse 23 says, And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Three things here it tells us about the coming of Jesus Christ. Firstly, it will be sudden. It will be sudden. It speaks to us of lightning. And like lightning strikes in the sky and it moves suddenly and it moves swiftly and it moves powerfully across the sky, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. Suddenly, swiftly, powerfully, it will be seen by everyone everywhere. No one will escape. Don't be fooled by people saying or claiming that he's come or that he was there or that he came somewhere else. It, that's what he tells us. Don't, don't say, look, he's over there or look, he's there. He says, don't be fooled by that. Don't follow people who tell you they've seen the coming of the Son of Man. When he comes, you will know. Everyone will know. It will be no secret. Don't worry, you've missed it. Everyone will know he's come. Everyone will know Christ has returned, and everyone will know who he is. There will be no doubt. It will be sudden. We're also told it will be unexpected. He gives us the examples of what happened during the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Now, in its description here of Noah and Lot, he is not describing to us what the world will be like morally during the time of Christ. That's not what he means here. He's not talking about what sins brought on the judgment. The point of his description here of the days of Noah and Lot is simply that they kept doing everything they did every day. Life went on as normal. 
They did the things they do every day. They went to the shops. They ate. They had dinner. They had friends over. They went out. They got married. They had children. They, they just lived life. They had the warnings. Noah preached the warnings. They had warnings from, from, from Lot and, and others in Sodom and, and God. They knew it was coming. But they chose to ignore the warnings and they just continued to live life like they did every other day. These examples of the days of Noah and the days of Lot are examples about people being oblivious to the coming of Christ. Despite the warnings and despite the preachings they refuse to hear, they don't pay attention, they don't listen, and they go about their daily business doing their normal everyday things and then, almost without notice as it were, suddenly Christ returns. And they're caught in the middle of the mundane and wasted lives. It will be sudden. It will be unexpected. It will be judgment. It is sudden, unexpected judgment. This time, when Jesus comes, he is not coming in peace. He's coming with a sword. He is coming in judgment and he will judge the world for sin. He will judge the world because they refuse his offer of salvation. Jesus told us that at the beginning in John chapter 3 and verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. That is, if you believe Jesus, you escape condemnation. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now I want you to notice an important truth in this description here of the judgment of God. And we see it happen in both the description of the days of Noah and the description of the days of Lot. And so it says here in verse 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And uh, it says, verse 27, They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And then when it starts talking about Lot, it says in verse 29, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom. See, in both passages where it's describing that God will come in judgment, both of them tell us that God's people were delivered before the judgment came. Both times. And it happens all through Scripture. You see, we are a people, the people of God, who are no longer under the wrath of God. So when the wrath of God comes, his people are removed first. God takes his people to safety before he brings his judgment. We will not endure the wrath of God. His people are removed to safety Before his wrath falls, then he will judge the wickedness of the world. Lastly, and quickly this morning, his kingdom has come. His kingdom will come. His kingdom is forever. These last verses, it shows us a number of things about, about our nature, about the nature of his kingdom. One of the first things it shows us is that his coming proves what we value. Verse 31, in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are on the house, or 
and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember, pardon me, remember Lot's wife. This world isn't worth turning back for. It's not worth going back for. We, you know, we hear a lot today uh, because it's summer. We've got fire time. We hear every year, right? If you live in a fire area, you need to have a fire plan. You know, what are you going to take? What are you not going to take? Be prepared. If you have stuff you want to keep, make sure you get it. And Jesus says when he comes, it doesn't matter what's in your house. It doesn't matter. This world isn't worth going back for. This, again, is a reminder of the suddenness of his return. But it's also a reminder that this world isn't worth hanging on to. It doesn't matter what you've got back in your house that you may find valuable. Sadly, though, for many, they're unable to let go. Hence, the little statement, remember Lot's wife? Do you remember Lot's wife? They fled from destruction God has said, don't look back. It's not worth it. But her heart was there. And she looked back and she found destruction. Jesus is reminding us what this world has to offer is not worth going back for. It's just not worth it. It's not worth being fixated on the pleasures and the pursuits of this life. Clinging to this life only brings judgment. So living for Christ is life. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Let go of this life to gain the next. Lose your life in Christ and you will find true life. His coming proves what we value. His coming permanently separates people. Christ will divide, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. The one will be taken and the other be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. Christ will divide. He's not hidden that message through his whole preaching. And this is a permanent division. It will divide families, it will divide friends, it will divide uh, nations, it will divide people permanently. See, those left behind at that judgment, at that division, will face eternal torment. And when that day comes, it's too late to choose. You've already made the choice. The choice has been made. So find salvation in Jesus Christ today. Believe he is God who died in your place for your sin. Repent and follow him. And then they ask a question. So when it talks about his kingdom being forever and it shows us that proves what we value, it permanently separates people. And he tells us that this judgment, this coming will be present everywhere. They ask a question and they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? Again, they're still thinking physically, hence the question, where? And where will this kingdom happen? Where is this going to happen? We may ask similar questions, but slightly differently. We, we may ask, when, Lord? Or who is it going to affect? These all are important questions with important answers. 
Where is this going to affect? Where is it going to happen? And when will it happen? Or who is it going to affect? All of these are important questions which we need to answer. And Christ's answer is a simple one which answers all of those questions. The answer of where is this. Everywhere Christ is rejected. He says wherever the body is, there the eagles or the the vultures will be gathered together. It says, wherever, everywhere, wherever there is a body, there judgment will be found. Where will it happen? Everywhere. Who will it affect? Everyone who has rejected Christ as Savior. When will it happen? Could be any time. Could be any time. Jesus Christ is coming again. I'm going to sing a song in a minute. It's a new song, I think. I don't think we've sung it, at least not in a very long time. It says, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, maybe soon. He is coming again. And it could be at any moment. Believer, live with this as your consuming passion. He is coming again. Christ is coming, so live this life for his glory. Don't get distracted by the pleasures of this world or the pursuits of this world. Some which may be good and may be profitable, but none which are eternal. Don't get distracted, but rather rejoice that God will deliver you from pain. He will deliver you from sorrow and he will deliver you from his wrath forever. If you're uncertain about where you will be, if that is you or not. Hear the truth today. Hear that truth. Jesus is coming again, and this time it's final. There is no more age of grace after that. There is no more second chance. When he comes, he comes finally, suddenly, and horrifically. It is not going to be a pretty picture. So don't be like the people of Noah's day or Lot's day and ignore the warnings. Hear the call, repent, and give your life to the king. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us about your coming, about what we have to expect, but also as a warning for us. For us as believers to know that we need to live our lives for your glory in this life, for the coming one. But also to be be vocal about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That the people we love, the people we know around us, will be able, as we are, to escape your wrath forever. We look forward to that day and with all the saints of old, we say, even so, come Lord Jesus, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.